So here we are, we're in a series called Family Matters. And really what we're talking about is what does it mean to be a family believers? Uh, last week we talked about the idea that Jesus made us a part of his kingdom, that we were no longer strangers or foreigners in, in his kingdom. Uh, we are his family. We are adopted sons and daughters with responsibilities that come along with that and, and relationship that comes along with that. And then he also says that we are his temple. So where's dwelling place? We literally, if you, if you think about it, we're the holy of holies, meaning that we need to treat everyone with dignity and respect and honor. And that's amazing stuff. And, and that in and of itself, it causes us to, or should cause us to pause and consider what it means to be made one. Like what did Jesus actually make us into? And then there's implications that come with that. So if we are this one thing called the church, uh, the family of God, the bride of Christ, then how are we to be in that space? What are we called into? Uh, what are our attentions supposed to be focused on? So if you've got your Bibles with you, uh, I would encourage you to turn with me to John chapter 13. I'm going to be looking at verse 34, John 13, 34. If you don't know where the Gospel of John is, in the beginning of your Bible, there's a table of contents. People worked hard to put it there. Don't be ashamed to use it. John 13, 34. Now, just to give you a context, uh, some of you might know this story, some of you may not, but the context of this particular passage is that uh, Jesus is predicting his leaving, and Peter uh, is having difficulty with it. Jesus predicts Peter's denial of him, and it's in within this context that Jesus gives this new command to love. Here's what it says. John 13, 34. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And then verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Last week, we talked about the idea from John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer, where he says that our unity with one another is going to be evidence that the Father sent the Son. And here, our love for one another is evidence that we are His. So, today, we are commanded to love. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And I pray, Lord, that as we're looking into your word and as we're being challenged by, oh, Lord, just the different things that come along with what it means to love people. I ask, Lord, that you would help us to be a people that would truly just look deep inside ourselves and evaluate, Lord, are we fulfilling this command that you've given us to love? Or... Uh, are we just doing things our way? And so, Lord God, whatever it is that isn't of you that's in this message, I ask, Lord, that it would just be stricken away and not remembered. But the things that are of you, Lord, uh, Lord, that they would sink deep within every single one of us, myself included, so that if there are any alterations that need to be made in life, Lord, we'll faithfully walk forward into those. In your name I pray. Amen. So, uh, we're going to be all over the Bible today, guys, like in terms of specifically New Testament, we're going to be all over the place. And so uh, I apologize if, if we're going to feel like some gymnastics. Um, but there's so much to say about the topic of being commanded to love within the New Testament that we have to, if we're going to treat the topic honestly, we're going to have to be in, in a variety of places. So feel free to come back and, and look at this thing a little bit later on again to pick up on those references and, and follow forward in it. 
But I think it's important for us to understand our relationship to commands. I don't know about you. I don't like commands. I do not like people telling me what to do with the expectation that I'm just going to do it. This is not how I function in life. I, I, I find that I feel like my back gets up against a wall and I want to kick back on it. I want to push back on whatever that command is. And so that's a me problem, right? Like, I mean, uh, there are commands that are there that are intended for our good. There are commands that are there that are uh, things that we're required to follow into, especially here uh, when we're getting commands from the creator of all things. Like I would imagine that, okay, interpersonally, uh, if a human being commands something of you, you know, a human being other than Jesus commands something of you, it may be difficult to accept. I mean, we all know that growing up in our homes, uh, you know, mom or dad would command us to do something and, and we would reel against that a little bit, right? Why? Well, because we don't want to. And that's the key right there. I don't follow commands because I don't want to. Or because you shouldn't be able to speak into my life in that way. You know, it's a very self-driven reason for why we don't push in, in towards following commands. And so what we find and that we need to understand is our commands are exactly just that. They are commands. Uh, they're not optional ideas that we can choose to do or choose not to do. These are commands. And so when we're talking about Scripture, when we're talking about Jesus, when Jesus commands us to love, we are receiving a command from the Creator of all things. And we need to put that in perspective. This isn't just Rob telling a church to do something. Not at all. Rob, as part of the church, is being told to do something commands from the creator of all things are statements we need to follow. No ends, ifs, or buts if we want to be truly following after him. And so yeah, when we talk about love then as a command, there's a lot of people who would, when they describe love, describe love very much as an emotion, right? Like love is a feeling. It's a feeling that can't be forced, they would say, right? You can't force someone to love you or you can't force yourself to love someone else. It's an emotion that can come and go, right? We hear people say things like, well, I just don't love you anymore. And yet here we are commanded to love. And it's interesting because uh, this love language, you could say in the scripture, carries with it uh, two veins of, of uh, types of love that are described that are often, um, I would say, sometimes confused with each other if we don't fully understand them. Um, so it's not just a sense of an act of goodwill. Like agape love is this idea of an act of goodwill towards others. You also have this affection, this friendship kind of love that's talked about, which is what's called filial love. And, and it's important to distinguish between the two. So like I said, agape love is act of goodwill, and that's a command, right? So we are commanded to uh, practice active goodwill towards others. That's an expression of love. That would be in passages like in, in Galatians we read, like do good to all, especially to those in the family of faith. The act of goodwill towards others, right? Like seek the good of others, not only your own interests, right? Like that's active goodwill. Uh, but then you have filio, which is this fondness, this friendship of love. 
And, and that's the notion of the one that just can't really be forced because it's more, um, it, it tends to be more intuitive, more experienced, more uh, connected in that sense, right? So it's not this outside active goodwill towards someone. It's more of an internal sense that you have towards someone. And yet, honestly, the, the distinction between the two isn't even that clear cut in the scriptures because agape can be defined as brotherly love affection uh, in the original language in certain usage. And then also in filio, it can be commanded also in the scriptures. And so what we have here is that we have really these two different kinds of love that were talked about in the scriptures that are experienced, they're commanded, and and we have to understand that there are certain relationships that we are commanded into. Now, here's the deal. Uh, we go back to this idea of command. I understand the commands make us uncomfortable. We don't like them. Why don't we like them? Because someone's telling us what to do. And our um, sense of self, our defiance, our sin nature tells us that I don't want to do what so-and-so tells me to do. Why? Because I'm an independent thinker, I'm my own person, no one should be able to tell me what to do. And yet here we are in the scriptures as followers of Jesus Christ, wanting to become more and more like Jesus Christ, we are commanded to love, not optional. And anytime we give ourselves some wiggle room not to love, let's understand this. When we give ourselves wiggle room not to love, we allow room for sin to set in. Because we're defying the command from God. So here's what we got. We got uh, the, the fact that we are commanded to love God and Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Now we're commanded to love God with our whole heart. And this is the agape love, right? Love the Lord with your heart and with your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And so it's like the entirety of our being needs to be oriented towards him in love, active goodwill towards God, which means he gains our worship, our service, our, our allegiance, all of these different things, part of those things that um, come along with what it means to be part of his kingdom. And so we're commanded to love God with our heart. Mark 12, 30. And it's complete. It's actually not even just our hearts, right? Like it's with all your heart and all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength. And so that's every aspect of your being. Uh, you are, I am, to love God. And I will tell you, I don't know that I always do it well. I don't. I, there are times where I think I probably neglect it, uh, and, and I don't want to. It's not my heart's desire. But what I can tell you is that this is a command, and so we don't leave ourselves room, we don't leave ourselves opportunity for excuses not to love God fully. Now, on top of that, we're commanded to love Jesus, filio, uh, more than family. 1 Corinthians 16, 22. If anyone does not love the Lord, let that person be cursed. Come, Lord. And now, more than family, Matthew 10, 37. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Think about this. Like, I, like so I'm a dad. And when I consider, like, do I love Jesus more than my kids? But I don't even know that that's even a fair question. Because, let's be honest with each other. My kids are right in front of me. I can, uh, if my kid needs a hug, I can give them a hug. I can sit down and talk with them. I can 
uh, I see their smiles, I, I hear their laughter and all those different, like there's something really uh, special that takes place when you're in that physical presence of one another. But then on top of that, my kids come from Janet and I, like we, you know, like they're part of us. And, and so when I compare that, like, do I love Jesus more than I love my kids? I'm like, I want the cause of Christ to be the first thing in my life. I, I want Jesus to be the first thing in my life. And, and so if I had to sit down and choose Jesus or my kids, whew, that would be hard. So it tells you what he's calling us into in terms of the depth of the affection the depth of the love that we should be experiencing with Jesus. It's the idea that, um, that I should be so committed and, and, and so uh, in love with what he's about, with who he is, with you know, what happens in this relationship, that he needs to be number one. And so I sit there and I wonder, all right, like, is he number one for me? All of these things that he calls us into, like they're not just these simple pat answers to life. Like he calls us into this pretty extreme form of love. And in doing so, he's asking us to, think about this, express the love towards him that he evidenced towards us. Like, think about this. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. So God gives up his son for us. He asks us to have the same committed love towards him. He's calling us to be like him. And that's a tall order, isn't it? Because we're not perfect. But we desire to be more and more like him. So we are commanded to love God and to love Jesus. And we're commanded to love him fully, completely, um, absolutely committed uh, as primary relationship within our lives. Like I need to love God more than I love my wife. I need to love God more than I love my kids. And it's not, it doesn't reduce my love for my family. It elevates my love for my king. That's the perspective. He says we're to love those in our community. This is the agape love. We're commanded to love our neighbor. Mark chapter 12, verse 31. Uh, this is, the second is this. When he was challenged to uh, answer the question of what is the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Sorry, mind and strength. And he says the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commanded greater, commandment greater than these. So we are to love those who are our neighbors, who are in our community. We are commanded to agape, love our enemies. I mean, goodness. Matthew 5, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You have heard me say this before. People are our enemies for a reason. And yet in this, in our communities, we're going to have neighbors. And the neighbor essentially is anyone. Everyone's your neighbor, if you look at the story. Everyone is your neighbor. And we're commanded to love our enemies. And so he's calling us, right? This is the active goodwill towards our neighbors, towards the people within our community, where there's a need, you see a need, you feel a need, where there's somebody that we would consider enemy, that we would actually, in fact, 
love them and we would pray for them. We would seek active goodwill for those who we feel maybe have wronged us. We feel uh, maybe are in a headspace that we just can't agree with. Maybe they, we feel like they are against us and perish the thought that, that we're against them. Because the language here tells us that we're not against anyone. Like anyone. We're commanded to love those in our community. And again, like this is a different kind of love, isn't it? It is an act of goodwill. It means that we are seeking the opportunity. It is active. We're told to love those in the church. We we are to agape, love one another as Christ loved us. And John 13, 34 was our primary passage for this morning. Uh, for this time together. Uh, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And so there's the comparative. How are we to love one another? Well, the way that Jesus loves us. Okay, how did he love? And then that creates a deep dive study of what it looks like for Jesus to have loved the disciples, to love us. It's sacrificial. It's affectionate. It's familial. And and so his, and, and it's fully all in and committed. As a matter of fact, Jesus evidenced his love for his enemy in that while we were yet still sinners, some translations will say enemies of God, Christ died for us. And so his active goodwill towards us is an example of our active goodwill towards others. We are to be kindly affectionate to one another. And this is this this brotherly love, this love of family. This is Romans 12.10. It says, Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Be devoted to one another in love. It is, uh, it's, it's again, this intense love for family. And this is the church. And so often I hear believers talk about how they don't love the church. And I, and I sit here and I think, like, we claim to love Jesus, but then we say that we don't love his church? There's no room for that. There is absolutely, unequivocally, no room to leave out love for the church. We are commanded to love one another. We are, and, and even that, it is used as evidence that we are disciples of Jesus. So we are commanded to love one another. We're commanded to have this brotherly affection. Be devoted to one another in love. It doesn't say be divided from one another. It doesn't say be separate from one another. It doesn't say only devote yourself to the ones whom you, on a personality level, click with. It doesn't say any of that. It says be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's a oneness that we get to press into, that the love that we're told to follow builds on and, and helps to flourish. It, it should be evident the command to love often requires displaying true heartfelt affection towards one another. If, it, if commanded, then it must mean something that we can develop if we're lacking it, right? So here's the like Jesus commands things of us. And there are things that he commands of us that we just need to grow into. And I truly believe that for the rest of my life, loving is something I have to continually grow in. But if he commands it, 
then it must be something that we can develop if we're lacking. So uh, we are taught how to love in the scriptures. We can be taught by God concerning brotherly love and love for one another. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught, listen, by God to love each other. God can teach us how to love each other. Like we, we, we may have this inkling that, that maybe God speaks through our hearts and, and tells us, yeah, you know what, there's something going on here that shouldn't be going on, or there's something going on here and, and it should happen and in terms of how we love. right? It, it pushes us towards one another. That's, that's what godly love does. So we learn from God. We learn from God in terms of how to love by how He sent His Son. First John four nine to ten. This is how God showed His love among us. He sent His one and only Son into the world that we might live through Him. This is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so God teaches us how to love by modeling it, by certainly expressing it but also by teaching us directly, and I believe this is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, right? Because when you accept Jesus as personal Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit dwells in you, and He guides you into all truth, and He teaches you the things from the Lord. And so, yeah, we need to grow, and we need to be willing to learn from God the Father, God the Spirit. Uh, Jesus Himself, while on earth, we can read about how He loves, how He was willing to die for us. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. You see that? Love others as I have loved you. He lays His, down, his life down, we lay our life down. So critical. John 13, verse 1, it was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So he loves the disciples. And then he tells them in verse 34, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Like Jesus constantly is an expression. I mean, when you, when you consider it, there are certain stories we love in, uh, in the scriptures that seem to highlight Jesus' affection towards people. We love the story of the woman at the well. What I particularly appreciate about that story is that culturally, and, and even gender-wise and stuff, she was considered an enemy. She was a Samaritan woman. Uh, she was an adulteress. And so there was all kinds of factors that should have created barriers between her and Jesus. And Jesus, instead of allowing those factors that could have been, maybe should have been culturally, uh, barriers for his affection and love towards her, he says, these barriers, these things that are structures that have been set up and designed to separate, shoving them aside. I'm a male rabbi, Jewish man, who is going to talk with a Samaritan woman at the well because she needs it. She needs to be united to God. She needs the gospel. She needs love. And this is what Jesus does. And so if we want to be more like Jesus, then what we need to be willing to do, partly in our expressions of love, is think about all those things that we believe should divide us, 
in terms of the things that have nothing to do with salvation, the things that, that are just personality quirks, the things that are just preferences, the things that are just opinions, or, or like I said, all those things that we think should separate us from another, we need to be willing to look at that and say, no. This does not determine my love for you. He does. So less of us, more of him. Paul tells us how to love. He can teach us how to love. Uh, he taught the Christians how to walk in love in Ephesians 5, verse 1 and 2. He says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children. Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So he says, walk in the love. But remember, like, he just keeps bringing us back to Jesus. Like all of this, it brings us back to Jesus to be more like him and less like us. Peter, who taught us to love one another, the filio and the agape uh, love fervently in 1 Peter, 2, uh, sorry, 1 Peter 1, verse 22, he says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for one another, love one another deeply from the heart. In chapter 4, verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And Peter taught us how to love, agape love, the brotherhood as brethren. 1 Peter 2, 17, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. In chapter 3, verse 8, finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Like there is this passionate plea, it would seem, within the scriptures for us to be agents of love. Agape love, which is that active goodwill. And filio, which is the affection, brotherly love that we would have um, as family members, as people who have uh, mutual care for one another, wholeheartedly. And I find that when I evaluate myself in relationship to these passages, to these teachings, oh, I don't know that I'm always doing really well with this. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I, there are personalities that are like sandpaper for me. And, and, and yet, my ability to connect with them personality-wise should have no bearing on whether or not I could love them. You see what happens? It's like my love is so fickle. And it's almost as if I equate love and like, right? Like, it's like, well, I don't like this person, so I can't love them. Well, that's absolute filth and garbage because there is nothing in the scriptures that even give remote opportunity for that kind of a thing. We actively love each other. It's this act of goodwill, and so we serve one another. We uh, treat each other like family. Now, I mean, not like we, <laughs> not like families that have tremendous struggles within them, but we treat people like family, meaning that we care deeply about their circumstance, their personhood, what happens with them. Other Christians teach us to love. It says, older women should be capable of teaching younger women, Titus 2, 3 to 4. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children. 
This is older women to younger women teaching them how to love. Every Even young believers, if you're here and you're checking this thing out and you're a young believer, and by young believer, I'm not talking about how many years you've been a believer. I'm just talking about literally your age. If you're under the age of 30, even young Christians can set an example on how to love. 1 Timothy 4.12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but instead set an example for believers in your speech, in your conduct, listen, in your love, in your faith, in purity. And so every age, the older, the younger, we're called into this action of love that is to define the church. And I wonder, have we allowed something else to define us? So we need a way forward in all of these things. I truly believe that the scripture tells us that we can develop a heartfelt affection. Uh, filial love can be enhanced by adding agape love to it, right? So filial love is that, it's that internal love that we feel towards someone else, right? Like it, it is the, the affection that we have. It is, and agape love, again, is that act of goodwill. And so we desire good for all people. And so we will act in love towards them. And, and so when you bring these things together, you can actually develop a heartfelt affection for people. Peter says it this way in 2 Peter 1, uh, verse 5 to 8. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness, listen, mutual affection, that's filio, and to mutual affection, love, agape. For if you process these qualities with increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so if we display this active goodwill and this heartfelt affection, and we do these things in tandem with each other, the feeling of love, it actually grows. It actually grows. First Thessalonians 4, verse 9. Now about your love for one another, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God uh, to love each other. And so it's this idea here, again, we have the decision to love, which is the act of goodwill, and we move in that direction. The filial love, that affection, that heartfelt affection that we have towards one another, will build as we lean into agape love, active good. Well, and so here's what we're faced with, because there's a lot of things that we say when it comes to love. And we give ourselves all kinds of excuses when it comes to it. Uh, we give ourselves, oh, sorry, not excuses. We give ourselves reasons. We say things like, well, you just don't understand. Okay, how about this? I'm going to wrap things up with some things that I think are important for us to address. We cannot excuse the lack of heartfelt love towards Jesus, fellow believers, families, or even enemies by making a distinction between agape love and filial love. So agape love is the act of goodwill. Filial love is that heartfelt affection. And so we can't make an excuse of the lack of heartfelt love by making a distinction between these two. Well, I don't feel that heartfelt love, so it must not be. I, I just obviously can't love them, and, and, and maybe they're just not lovable, or, or whatever these kinds of things that would come in. We, like, both kinds of love are commanded. Both. And the two often overlap. Like, really what we're faced with in the Scriptures is that there is no excuse 
whatsoever at any point, regardless of the situation, to lack love. Because if I'm to love the ones I love and I'm to love my enemies, everybody else falls in between. Everybody else falls in between. If I am to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, my neighbor is myself, and my enemies, who's left? Like, I love everyone. That's what I'm commanded to do. And so we don't get to make excuses to not love everyone because we are actually, in fact, commanded to love everyone. Now, we could deal with the command then. I mean, we could sit there and we could say, well, then I just don't want to. Okay, you can do that. I can do that. As a matter of fact, probably do. But then I have to acknowledge that in that moment, I've decided rebellion. I've decided sin is what's going to reign in my life at that point. Because he's called me to something different. And when I say no, I have to recognize who I'm saying no to. I'm not just saying no to my, uh, to my parents. I'm not just saying no to my boss or, or to my pastor or whatever. I am saying no to Almighty God. And in that frame of mind, I will tell you what comes to my mind when I hear that, when I do that. I hear this voice in my head that goes like this. Who exactly do you think you are? Man, that's sobering for me. Like that is a kick in the teeth for me. Because I have a defiant nature. I have an independent nature. And there are sometimes I just don't want to do things. But he calls me into something that isn't about me. Love God. Love neighbor. Love enemies. Love self. There's no room to not love. So we can't make the excuse that we can't... that. We don't want to or any of those kinds of things because we are commanded into it. We can't just say, well, I don't feel like it. Our feelings on the matter are, are being challenged to change. Second thing would be this, where we lack heartfelt love towards Jesus, fellow believers or family members or, uh, or enemies. We need to acknowledge the flaw. You ready? This is the hard one. Because ah, when I wrote it down and I was like, yeah, you know what, Rob? Like This is true of you. We need to acknowledge it as spiritual immaturity. Because that's what it is. I am choosing me over him. That's spiritual immaturity. And it hurts, right? Because I don't want to hear that. I don't like that language. And yet, I need to hear it. Because it's true. We need to be willing to relearn love, whether it's agape or filio. So if you're here and you're checking this out and you have uh, not delved into the idea of this active goodwill towards others, and it usually represents itself in the way we serve one another, why not? What has been wrong with your agape love? Like what prevents you from uh, acting out in the agape love, the active goodwill towards everyone around you? What stops you from seeking their good and actively pursuing their good, whether inside the church or outside the church? If it's this filial love, this heartfelt affection, what boundaries have you set up that, or maybe not boundaries, but what walls have you set up that maybe need to come down? There's appropriate boundaries we need to set with people so that we make sure that, that we are loving ourselves well enough to be able to take care of ourselves and not allowing others to damage us in that way. However, there's a difference between a boundary and a wall. 
a boundary allows us to still function well and godly and love other people, but a wall turns us away from someone and it hardens our hearts towards them. What have you built? What needs to get turned down? And when we need to learn to love others, sorry, when we need to learn to love others with heartfelt affection, then we need to look to the examples of the Father. We need to look to the examples of Jesus. The, we need to look to the example of the apostles and to other believers. And, and so we have all of this within Scripture, but then we also have this with one another. And this is why it's so crucial that we do live in community with each other. It is from others that I know I can rattle off names in our congregation of people who have taught me so much about grace and forgiveness and love and affection. Um, and I hope that I've been able to do that with others as well. But, but we learn from each other as we grow. We walk with each other and we sharpen each other along the way as we're moving towards the likeness of Jesus. We need to learn to love others by actually taking stock of the examples that we have around us. Take the initiative to practice agape love, like serve people. Don't just say, oh, I don't want to, or, or, or being selfish with our time and this guy. Ah, like, man, I am a selfish person. And I don't think I'm alone. That we would give of our time and our energies and our affections towards one another. Take the initiative to practice agape love. And I promise you, as you do, the heartfelt affection love, the filial love, that'll build. That'll absolutely build. You'll have an affection for people that you didn't even know you could have. You will desire their good and you will serve towards their good. And when we've been purified, sorry, we have been purified to have honest, affectionate love for one another. But do we love one another as sincerely as we should? Like, so here's the thing, like, like if love is something that we to continually grow in, then where are we now and where do we need to, like, what's our next step in, in producing and, and, and building into and experiencing this love that we're commanded into? 1 Peter 1.22, now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. So it starts there, right? Obedience, command. So that you have sincere love for one another, right? So you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so you, that you have sincere love for one another. Then he says, love one another deeply from the heart. Agape love, filial love, act of goodwill, heartfelt affection. This this is what we're called into. This is the kind of love that Jesus says that when they see your love for one another, they will know you are mine. You are my disciples. And I promise you that this is exactly what was being experienced in the early church where we saw people being added to their number daily, those who were being saved. Why? Because the love the agape love and the filial love, the act of goodwill and the heartfelt affection were observed, seen, desired, and it motivated people towards the gospel, most importantly, uh, towards the Lord. And it changed their lives. Where are we at? How's your love? We need more. I need to express it more. I think we all do. 
So in your growth, in your journey with Jesus, how much does your love look like his love? And what can you do? What step can you make? And you know it because you're probably being told by the Lord even right now about it. What can you do today, tomorrow, the next day to move one step closer to your love looking more like his and less like ours? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you so much for our time here. And as we're looking into the topic of love, I pray, Lord, that we would be encouraged and convicted and challenged and stretched and moved towards having this act of goodwill towards other people, Lord, that we would serve them, pursue their goodwill. Lord, that we would have a heartfelt affection for others. And you call us to love you. You call us to love our neighbor. You call us to love ourselves. And we call us to love our enemy. Lord, there isn't anyone on the planet that you tell us not to love. And so, Jesus, would you help us to be a people who follow through on God's command? In your name I pray. Amen.